Good evening, Lake Church. We can do better than that. Good evening, Lake Church. Amen. God is good. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, just turn to the 91st Psalm. We've been talking about the secret place. <clears throat> Last week, Pastor Kevin did a wonderful job on that as well, and uh, grateful for his importation into this message, and uh, I believe all of you were blessed if you were here or if you watched later, um, but we are going to continue along the same lines and understand um, how to operate from the place that uh, Christ has put us in, and uh, so I'm going to read the first two verses, and then um, we're going to get into our lesson here. We'll pray. So it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Amen. Father, we just give you praise and we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you that you're here leading and guiding us, showing us truth, bringing revelation knowledge that makes us free. We thank you for manifestations of the Spirit of God. We want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, before we get started, why don't we just stand to our feet and begin to lift our hands and begin to praise the Lord. It's always good to praise the Lord and, and just remind Him of how much we love Him and how grateful we are for Him and how thankful we are. Father, we're so thankful and grateful for you and all that you've done for us. We give you praise and glory. We magnify you. We thank you, Father God. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Without you, we can do absolutely nothing. We look to you, Father God, as our wisdom, as our strength. We open ourselves up for the Holy Spirit to move through us tonight. And we just want to fill this place with your praise so that you can inhabit the praises of your people and begin to bring revelation and wisdom and healing and breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You can, you can be seated. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. What well, we need to start seeing ourselves as what the Bible describes who we are and what we have and not be limited by what we see in the flesh. So often we look in the mirror and there are varied mirrors in our lives. There are the physical mirrors we look in in our bathroom in the morning, but there are also other mirrors. There's people that are mirrors to us. There's circumstances that are mirrors to us. There's environments that are mirrors to us, and they all begin to speak diminishment, 
depreciation, failure, and insurmountable circumstance that we feel we cannot get over. But if we look in this mirror, the perfect law of liberty, and we begin to take this mirror and begin to see ourselves through this mirror, we'll begin to see who we truly are. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So we've been talking about the secret place and operating in the secret place. And uh, the, the main way that we operate in the secret place is by understanding that the secret place is in Christ. In Christ is the secret place. It is a position that we have found ourselves in by virtue of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He, through his act of obedience to God, by giving his life on our behalf and becoming our substitute and taking our sin and our sickness and our poverty upon himself, taking the full brunt of the curse and the judgment and wrath of God as our substitute causes us to begin to operate in newness of life when we believe and embrace that message. Amen? Amen? I want to look at a scripture that uh, the Lord just, you know, showed me, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about uh, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile and that God has brought the people of God, which are known as the insiders, which are the Jews, and the outsiders, which are the Gentiles, and through Christ Jesus has made one new man. But I want you to understand that the secret place is understanding that we have been born of God, that we have Christ living on the inside of us, and that the secret place isn't something that I have to get a GPS to find, that I'm in that place all the time. But the awareness, because I'm so locked in to the natural around me, that I don't have an awareness of the secret place in the, um, in the various uh, routine of my life. So he says in verse number 16, he says, I believe it's 16, 14, I believe. Yeah. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's between Jew and Gentile. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Amen? So when Jesus, that's what we were talking about, when Jesus died upon the cross, he was buried and raised from the dead. The book of Colossians says that he became the beginning. He is the beginning. Now we understand that he's the alpha, he's the omega. We understand that he is Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. Because the gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we know that he was the beginning of all beginnings. 
But when it talks about he is the beginning in the book of Colossians, he is talking about that he is the beginning of a new species of being. That means that his death, burial, and resurrection has caused us to be begotten of God and to become a supernatural hybrid that has never existed before. The Apostle Paul called it treasure in earthen vessels. So what we've got to get a hold of is that what's on the inside of us is bigger than what's on the outside. And that if we limit our ministry and our life to what we see on the outside, to the size of our pocketbook, to the clothes that we wear, to the shape that we're in, or to the attractiveness that we project, if we limit it to that, then those things will fail us. Because there's some days you feel like the pigeon, and there's some days you feel like the statue. Okay? All right? But in Christ, the inside's always working. The inside's always on. Christ in you is complete and entire and is always active. The goal of understanding the secret place is understanding that we are to work from that place, that we're never to work from circumstance. We're never to work from platforms of influence in this world. We're to operate from within. We're to live life from the inside out. Amen? So if the greatest, the best, the ultimate God who created the universe lives on the inside of you, you need to get a mindset that I don't need to work to try to get something I already have. I need to renew my mind to release what I already have. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants you to begin to release and see yourself as a holy conduit of heaven and to see that you are plugged in to the realities of the kingdom of God right now and that you conduit that into a fallen world, into broken bodies, into people who need to be filled with the Spirit, to see the miraculous happen and to see people delivered from satanic bondage. This is who you are. There's a lot of people that have tried to tell you who you are, but this is who you are. You are to live and dwell in the secret place. The secret place is in Christ Jesus. In him we live and move and we have our being. Amen? So that means that our life is Him. Our wisdom is Him. Our strength is Him. Amen? Hallelujah. It requires humility to do this. Sinful pride will cause that to be masked in your life. It will cause you to feel muted in your walk with God. Because you want it to be about you. 
and you want to be the one that is the self-sufficient one. But the Bible clearly says, and I want to turn to Matthew chapter 11. This is just preliminary stuff that the Lord gave me to share with you. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says something very important here. In verse number 25, it says, In that time Jesus declared, I thank you. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent or understanding and revealed them to what? Little children, babes, little children. So God reveals his secrets, his revelations, to not know-it-alls. You want to know what one of the number one reasons the body of Christ has not taken a hold and brought revival in this land? It's because we have a bunch of know-it-alls. And they approach the word of God as if, oh, I know that. I've heard that. Hello. He's teaching on that again. Man, I need to go somewhere else and, you know, so that I can learn something different. No, you've got the wrong attitude. He says right here, he says, you hide them. You hide them from the worldly wise and the worldly prudent, from those that think they know it all. They are people that think they already understand. I'm here to tell you, when I went through what I went through, and it was a major crisis in my life, I had been in Bible, I went to Bible school, I had been in ministry for quite some time, but I had to come back as a child. I couldn't rely on the old manna of the past, even though it was the same recipe. Come on now. Even though it was the same taste, even though I'd ate it before and remembered the experience, I had to go back to formula. I had to say, God, I don't know anything. It's obvious with what has happened in my life that I'm missing something. And it requires humility to bow the knee and to say, God, show me. Reveal to me what I need to see because I don't want to be here anymore. And I don't want to return. I don't want to make the same mistakes and find myself in the same place. So he has to, it has to be humility that brings us into this secret place. As a believer, the secret place is always with you. It's humility that opens the door of the awareness of the secret place. If you don't have humility in your heart, if you are arrogant and prideful and think that you know everything, you are missing out on the abundance of the secret place. Amen. There are people that reject certain things. You bring up certain topics. They're not interested. We say we're doing this series here. Well, you know what? I've heard that. I got this series and that series, and I was listening to a podcast and blah, blah, blah. And it was, really, it was really bad back in the early days. I mean, it's, it's worse now, but, I mean, it was bad back in the old days, too. People said, well, I heard Brother so-and-so speak this, and Sister so-and-so, she had a good series on this, and I've heard that. But faith doesn't come by having heard. 
It doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. And you know you haven't officially heard unless you're doing what you heard. One thing that I learned from my mentor is that hearing and doing are the same. In, in biblical terms, that means this. I've only truly heard it when it's applied in my life. Now that takes us back to where we left off before Kevin took us um, down the, you know, that wonderful road that he took us through, uh, Psalm 23, which is basically a description of the secret place. Psalm 23 is the secret place. It, uh, it's a perfect illustration of the secret place because the secret place is on earth. It's not in heaven. Did you know Psalm 23 is not written about heaven? Hello. I'll, you know, listen, if you pass away and you put Psalm 23 on your little, you know, going away bulletin or whatever, I won't say a word, but I'll say, bless their heart and their stupid head <laughs> inside myself, not out loud, but inside myself, because it has nothing to do with heaven. Psalm 23 has to do with right here and right now. And like we saw a couple of weeks ago, we know that Psalm 22 has to do with the <clears throat> cross where Jesus, the first words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know that Jesus uttered those words from the cross, okay? So the death of Jesus is exemplified through the messianic psalm of Psalm 22. Psalm 24, which is the psalm after Psalm 23, has to do with the earth as the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and it has to do with God coming back and reclaiming the earth. Psalm 23 has to do with the dispensation that you and I are in, the dispensation of grace and the dispensation of the secret place. And he begins to describe the secret place. Now, we just told you that in order to access the secret place, it requires submission and it requires humility. Two words that are cuss words in today's church. You'd be better off doing a Chris Rock routine than talk about submission and talk about obedience and talk about, um, you know, um, being humble, okay? People don't like that stuff. They don't like it. They want to make it on their terms. But God says very clearly, Jesus said it himself, without me, you can do everything. Is that what he said? He said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, if the creator of the universe dwelling and abiding in a human body tells me that, then I'm going to believe what he says. I'm not going to fight him about it. I'm going to just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Even though my flesh wants to rise up and say, you know what? I'll show you. I still need to submit myself and subordinate myself to the word and say, you're right and I'm wrong. You're God and I am not. Hello, did you know the major battles in your life is you wrestling to be God? You wanting to be God in your own life? That's one of the major wrestles you'll ever have in your life is you making your decisions, coming up with your own information and trying to make decisions based upon that because you don't want to submit yourself to the wisdom of God. There are people that I know that have made decisions. They know that are against the word, but I've sat across the table from them sat beside them as they were weeping 
And they will continue to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. How many have ever had that happen in your life? I'm going to do it regardless. This is what I want. I'm going to do it. Well, basically what they're saying is, I am enthroned. I am God. I am the Lord. Amen. Amen. And the Holy Ghost, I mean, you could prophesy over them till you just spit all over them, till they just take a bath in your spit. <laughs> you can lay hands on them until their forehead, uh, you know, rubs totally transparent and clean. And nothing will happen because their will is set. They want to be God. But that is not the way to enter the secret place. Now, that's the secret world. The secret world has to do with your soul. The secret place has to do with your spirit. What God wants to do is he wants to take the secret place in your spirit and he wants to inhabit your soul. So it's through the renewing of the mind that we begin to cultivate the garden of the secret place in the secret world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So by the renewing of the mind, then our spirit and soul become one. Okay? So it requires humility. Amen? And so that leads us to our first verse, which we got started on. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. Now notice this. He uses the phrase Lord. Jesus is Lord is a popular phrase in church culture. But it's not experienced by everybody. Jesus is Lord is something that we always say but may not live. Hello. We may use the term Lord as a title, like Little Lord Fauntleroy, or Lord Byron, or Lord this, as a title or um, some kind of name. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about Yahweh, the creator of the universe, Lord master, owner. And I'm telling you, you will not unlock the secret place until you walk in lordship, until you understand lordship. Lordship is learning to be obedient to the Lord. Oh, and we don't like this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Jesus learned obedience through suffering why would you think that you are exempt from the same process? Now, when I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about the suffering of anything that Jesus redeemed you from. He doesn't want sickness on you, and he's not going to use sickness to teach you anything. And he doesn't bring poverty on you either because he redeemed you from poverty. That's a spiritual condition. Amen? But what is the suffering that goes on with the learning of obedience and understanding lordship that unlocks the spiritual dimension that many of us are not walking in? It's having to say no to things that you want to say yes to and having to say yes to things that you want to say no to. Amen? 
there is a suffering that comes with pursuing the plan of God for your life. All that will live godly, the Bible says, will what? Suffer persecution. Persecution is a form of suffering because we want to be understood. And we certainly want to know that the decisions that we're making, other people understand and agree with. But guess what? How many found out that not to be true? Whenever you are following the Lord, especially in a decision-making Try to bring the straight stick of the word in a crooked house, and you're going to have a whole lot of problems. You try to bring the truth into something that has been chaotic, that has been crooked, that has been wicked, and then you begin to see chaos ensue. But that's a sign that the truth has come into the situation, and because it's straight and everything else is crooked, it causes chaos for a little bit. But if you continue to bring the straight stick... If you'll continue to bring the truth, if you'll continue to go through the suffering, praise God, that house will straighten up like the straight stick of the truth in your life. Amen? Many times we face relational difficulties, difficulties with teenagers, raising kids, and we've allowed certain things to happen, certain certain things to go on, sometimes unbeknownst to us, But many times, if I could be honest, we knew, but we just didn't want to shake the the snake pit, so to speak. Come on now. We're too busy. I don't want to deal with this right now. I don't want to. You go to your room. You go to this. Okay? And then you come into a service like this one, and some old preacher tells you to bring a straight stick into your crooked house or bring a truth of the Word of God to you. It's just like tithing, okay? Many people don't tithe anymore. And it's because they don't know the straight stick of the truth of the Word of God. So their house is crooked, and they know it's crooked. And when you're living in a house where the foundation doesn't work and everything's crooked, crooked doors don't shut. Windows don't shut right. You're walking, you know, up, you know, to the cupboard. You know, there's just chaos. There's just, but you can get used to living that way. You can get used to living in that crooked house. And then here you hear the word of God in this straight stick. You know, everything, you know, that's one thing we learned about our buildings over here and our building over there. There was nothing square. Nothing was square. I mean, our, our walls were going this way. I mean, they went every direction. They snaked. And nothing was square, and nothing was level. But when you bring the Word of God into your life, you're bringing the true level and straightness of the truth of God. It goes into a very crooked situation, and it causes problems first. We come away from a meeting where we hear something good, And we just think immediately, we're going to plug it in. We're going to plug it in. You know, things are good. We say things like this when we get home. Things are going to change around here. I've heard this. Mama's going to be better. Daddy's going to do better. Hello? And then they try to apply this, and guess what? Ain't nobody going to cooperate. 
with what you're trying to do. Hello? You have more chaos and more discomfort and more uncomfortableness and more strife. And the reason why is the enemy wants you to take that stick and throw it out the window and forget about it. Because he doesn't want you stepping in to the other side. So he'll immediately come for the word. He'll come for that word. He'll begin to berate you, begin to... And when it comes to lordship, that is one of the main words that he fights. He will fight you on lordship. Oh, Mr. Christian. Oh, yeah. You really think you're going to do that? You really think you're going to be able to afford to tithe? You really think you're going to be able to pray with your kids? I'd like to see that. That's hilarious. You think you're going to compete with Xbox Live? You think you're going to compete with the Internet? You think you're going to compete with everything I've got in their life? You're going to unplug them? You're going to take that away? You think you're going to take their phone and everything's going to be okay? You're bringing on World War III in your home. And I'm going to make sure because I've got them so connected to those social constructs that they are going to scream to go back to Egypt. Because anytime you receive a revelation from God, the first question you've got to ask is God commanding me to do this? And if he is, he's Lord, so then I need to what? I need to do it. But people don't experience God because they have no lordship in their life. They're running the show. Jesus is just an added spice. They pepper their phraseology with Jesus. They might wear Jesus' shirts, might even have a tattoo with, you know, the cross or something there, but yet they live rebellious lives. And then you ask them about certain aspects of their life. They don't have prayer life. They, they really not, the word's not jumping out of the page. It's a boring book to them. They'll complain about having to read. They'll complain about, you know, all the wonderful things that we get to do that they'll have a problem with. Well, I tried that. I tried that. I, I, I tried that. It didn't work for me. Well, it didn't work for you because you haven't first entered into lordship. And it takes time. Okay? Say, for instance, some of you, if we all decided that we were going to lose 20 pounds. Okay? So we decide that we're going to go down here to God's gym and we're not just going to join the gym. We're going to hire us a personal trainer. Okay? We're going to pay this person to weigh us, to pinch us, to see how big our body fat is. Hello. And to ridicule us, belittle us, and challenge us. Okay? All right. 
Now, when you go for your first little, you know, time in the gym, you've got to do one thing. You've got to submit yourself to the trainer. You'll never get anywhere if you don't. Hello. You will never get anywhere if you don't. Because what's in here can override what's here. And if you don't submit yourself solically to subordinate under someone that is to help you, you'll never get anywhere. I see this with ministers all the time. They don't have a mentor one, never had one. And they'll say, well, no one showed up. No, you didn't want them. Let's just be honest. You didn't want them because you don't, you know, it's real hard. You know, when I was doing my writing, when I write, and, you know, when I write and I write it out, I just think it's the best thing ever. I just say, absolutely. Well, it's ready for publishing right now, (laughs) you know. But what do I do? Because I understand wisdom, I have to submit that transcript to people that will read it. Well, guess what? They have red marking pens. And they write nasty notes about, you know, uh, sentences that don't go together, words that don't work, grammar issues. This doesn't flow right. What do you mean this doesn't flow right? It's beautiful. Come on now. We don't like to be critiqued. We hate it. And you should. I mean, I don't, nobody should like to be critiqued. But if you're going to get anywhere, you've got to be critiqued. If you're going to do anything that's of any importance, that's of any quality, it's got to be critiqued. You've got to be critiqued. It's the only way that you can find out what's really on the inside of you if there's some opposition. Hello. You've got to have opposition. There has to be obstacles. And that's suffering that comes with pursuing the plan of God for your life. There is opposition. There are obstacles. There's times you're going to have to wait, and you don't want to wait. There's times when you want to jump out and do something. Well, i got to get done. Jesus is coming back. i got to do this, and i got to do that. And God ain't, on, ain't in it. He ain't in it at all. He's not breathing on it. You're just trying to do something in your flesh. It won't work. And that's part of the suffering. The suffering is, well, you're going to suffer by by having to sit back and wait, and you're going to suffer if you get out and be stupid. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? See, lordship is key. And some of them don't even understand what lordship is. Some of them, have, you know, listen, lordship for me was, was difficult because I, of my father's situation. Because, you know, I, I, you know, it just wasn't, it's something I resisted. Hello. Hello. I learned lordship basically when I started working at the church, when I started getting in ministry. And when I had to submit myself and subordinate myself under another ministry gift. 
And I'm telling you, you know, there, there is suffering that comes with that because when you come out of Bible school or when you come out of hearing from God and seeing the light of what you're supposed to do, you think you're the best thing since cornbread. So you think you've already got it made. You think, well, I've, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Hello. And God will put somebody in your life. And if you don't have one, you're not doing it right. You're just not doing it right. And so God will, will, will put somebody, if you're truly called, if you're truly called. Some people think they're called and they're not. Just be honest. We hear these terms apostle and prophet just thrown out. And we got people who can prophesy, but they're not prophets. Hello. The Bible definitely tells you that dreams and visions are going to come because it's the apostolic age. doesn't mean you're a prophet because you had a dream. doesn't mean you're a prophet because you had one vision. All believers should be able to prophesy. Well, you might be saying, well, I'm not there yet. Well, you, you could get there because it's there. In fact, the Apostle Paul told you to covet one thing, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. He told every believer to covet the gifts of the Spirit. That's one thing you can covet. You're not to covet your neighbor's wife. You're not to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not to covet the things of the world, but you can covet the things of God. And there's just not any coveting going on. There are people saying, well, I, I feel like I need to get out there and do this and do that and do this and do this. Well, they're just describing the New Testament believer. I know this is hard, but it's the truth. They're just describing the New Testament believers, what they're doing. You're supposed to go out, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. That's what every believer is supposed to do. That's not just called people. That's just not people that are up here teaching the Word of God. Listen, there are people that diminish what I do because they think they can do what I do. And they can't. And I'm not saying that I got it on my own because it's a gift. Do you understand what that is? It's a gift. So I can't take credit for it. I can't say, well, I did this and I went to here and I did. I can't say anything about it. It's all a gift. But I've put myself in a position to have resistance. And some of them don't do it. Shoot, they, they, you know, the first time it gets hard, they're gone. They're out the door. No, I can't handle it. I can't. I don't know why I'm speaking about this. This all right? They get hard. You know, they have one little flub up. It's over. It's over. I can. Hello. There's been times I failed. There's times that I mispronounced words. There's times that I missed God. There's times that I did that. But but you know, I got right back up. Hello. And there's times I disappointed my mentor. Disappointed him. And I knew that, and it hurt me. But he was the necessary resistance to get me to where I'm at today. If I did not have that, 
I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I'm totally convinced. If I would have went out with my plan the way I wanted it to be, I wouldn't even be in ministry today. Because people think this ministry is just working on Wednesday and Sunday. They do. Rest of rest of the week, you're... I don't do any of that. Do we do any of that? And only when Woody comes in town do we do it. Hello. Because people think it's easy. Hello. And I'm not, I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm trying to get you to see something. I'm trying to get you to understand something here. Okay? It's just like Michael Jordan, which I believe is the greatest basketball player in the entire planet. Okay? All right? When he was in college, he was under Dean Smith. And Dean Smith saw the talent and saw what he could do, but he only allowed him to score 20 points. And if he went over 20 points, he was in the, on the bench. Now, why did he do that? Why did he put limits on his best player? So that he could become a great player and score 55 and 65 and 68 in professional games. See, sometimes that restriction and that pullback is a means of propelling you to new places. And many of you are waiting. Hello. And you're waiting on God to do something, and God's saying, you know what, I'm waiting on you. What, what, what are you going to do? Is this okay? Lordship. We ask, you know, a lot of you are asking questions. Why haven't we seen this revival? Why haven't we seen this? Really? Really? You need an explanation? You need an explanation? You've been in the church how many years, and you don't understand why we're not seeing revival? Why these seats aren't filled? It's because we're narcissistic believers. We're selfish. We're not stepping over and stepping out. We're not extending ourselves to our fellow man. We're not seeking another man's wealth. Hello? And it's because we have a lordship problem. Because your Lord said, go into all the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples, and we sit around. Hello? Lordship has to be answered in your life. If you're going to operate from a secret place, you've got to operate from lordship. God will use you when he knows he has your ear, he has your eyes, and he has your heart. But that's a process, guys. That don't just have you, you, you can't just get up here and say, Lord, I give you my heart. No, that'll be tested. We can say those things and we can proclaim those things, and that's wonderful. But why do we get up here and begin to pour out our heart in public worship, but in on Monday morning we say no to him every day? No, I'm not going to do that. 
No. I'm telling you, lordship. Very simple. See, Jesus doesn't become your savior. Mm, this is going to be rough, guys. Buckle up. <laughs> Jesus doesn't become your savior till he becomes your lord. It doesn't say whosoever shall call upon the Savior shall be delivered. It says whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be delivered. This is why we have carnality running rampant in the church. No fear of God. No fear of God because we don't understand lordship. When Jesus became your Lord, he became your owner. You don't own yourself anymore. I am not my own. I think that might be in the Bible. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are God's. I mean, I think someone said that somewhere. I think it's Nicodemus 4. That's a joke. 1 Corinthians 6. See, the reason why you're not experiencing what you want to experience is because you're trying to experience God in rebellion. Hello. God tells you to do something, you tell him no. Or you procrastinate and put it off. Manana, manana, manana. Hello. And some of it's simple stuff. Some of it's very simple stuff. Um... God is such a uh, detailed God that he, he don't let nothing pass him. And if, if you're saying no to a certain aspect of your life, he'll keep you going in a circle till you hit that again and you hit that again and you hit that again. And when you hit that again, then you go into another phase when you're obedient to it. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. What did he suffer? He suffered persecution. He suffered his family not understanding him. Did you remember that Jesus' mom came to get him? She thought he was nuts. Go and get my boy. He thinks he's, you know. And she had received a divine visitation from Gabriel. And he, she, his, whole, his brothers and sisters thought he was crazy. But see, Jesus understood lordship. He understood who the father was. And when they came to him, he says, your mother and your brothers and, and your sisters are out here for you. He says, this is my brother. See, he understood something. He understood that he had to be obedient to God over his family. And that's just not happening in our world today. That's just not happening. I mean, you get a teenager, throw a fit, you, you stay away from church. I don't want to go. Who's Lord? You understand what I'm saying? God calls you to somewhere, calls you to a specific place, to a specific house. And you make all kinds of excuses not to go. Who's Lord? 
Oh, it's getting quiet in here. I've only got five more minutes, so it's all right. The Lord is my shepherd. If you want the care of the shepherd, you've got to have lordship. The shepherd cares for you, nurtures you, helps you, shorns you, protects your eyesight, clips your nails where you got a good solid walk, puts you in a sheepfold and a sheep gate, protects you, keeps you from wolves. Everybody wants the love of the shepherd, but they don't want lordship. And they are one and the same. The Lord is my shepherd. The redemptive name of God, Jehovah Rohi. The Lord my shepherd. That causes you to live life very different. You can't live the average American life pursuing the American dream and worldly ideals and the Lord be your shepherd. Is all right? You just can't do it. See, he called you little children, and he didn't do it necessarily to be endearing. He did it to show you your position in this big, bad world. Children are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attacks. They're vulnerable to life. Children need to be protected. Amen? He says, God hides from those who think that they're worldly wise and are filled with understanding, but he reveals his secrets to vulnerable little children. So the whole aspect of your life, the paradigm shift that has to happen is that you can no longer think that you know everything. You can no longer say, I heard that before. You can no longer say, you know what, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it my way. That is not the little child. Hello. What happens when a little child says that? The parent says, you're going to do it my way. <laughs> Hello. Or should happen. No, this is what we're going to do, honey. Hello. Well, when we're in a relationship with the Lord, there's sometimes when we try to come up with our own ideas, but we need to be open to the Holy Spirit and his, his influence. To, to say, you know what, Lord, uh, you, you know what's best. 
I may not understand the decision that you're making in regards to me. I may not understand the path, but, but I have already decided the Lord is my shepherd. And if I've decided that, then that means I trust you with my time. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my call. I trust you with the things that are important to me, and I just trust you. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 91? I will say of the Lord, refuge, fortress, in you I will trust. See, that, that's the thing that, that what a little child does is if you tell a little child, we're going to go to um, the toy store Friday, they'll be waiting on you when you get... I mean, I got in trouble with my kids multiple times by telling them we were going to do something. And they're waiting for me. They would, did not forget. If you said it, it was set in stone. Little children operate that way, and we've got to become little children. But if we become like little children, then we have to understand that we're sheep. And that has been robbed by the devil. I've shared this with you before, but it bears repeating. Because this is a number one reason why we're not seeing the manifestation of the glory of God like we desire is because the church lacks true Bible humility. And that's very hard. I say that to myself as well. I'm not, I'm not sitting here just pointing the finger. I'm, I'm looking at myself too. Is that we have been so self-sufficient and so carnally driven that we have neglected the deeper things of the Spirit. Hello. There are certain things and certain aspects, and I was even reminded of them this past weekend, aspects of my roots that I had lost touch with. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are some of you in this crowd that have never experienced those roots that I'm talking about. But some of you have. And the Lord is calling us back. And we've got to be humble enough to say, you know what? Our methodology is not working. We need to do what the Lord's saying. You see what I'm saying? Do you understand that? You know, and I'm just going to say this, but about the mid-90s, there became what was known as the seeker-sensitive movement. How many know what that is? The seeker-sensitive movement was a movement within the church that basically said that gifts of the Spirit in certain aspects of the biblical movings of God need to be not highlighted in the presence of unchurched or unsaved people. Okay? So that was the seeker-sensitive movement. And regardless of whether you were Pentecost or charismatic or Baptist or Methodist or whatever, that seeped in everywhere. It seeped into every church as we became guest-centric, okay? We became guest-centric. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm all about being guest-centric and 
taking care of people and letting them know we're glad they're here and doing it. But I'm not going to take the Holy Ghost and put him in the back room over here and say, well, we're not going to do the tongues and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that because that might be offense. They may not understand. Good. Good. If they don't understand, it'll cause them to seek. Yes, that's right. That's good word. Amen. Hello. Come on now. It causes them to wonder and consider, is this really, really true? Is this really something? I remember the first time I went to a believer's meeting, and I, it was 91, and I went with two friends of mine that are both, you know, I still know, and one's a deacon in the Baptist church here, and, and another, you know, he, he, he goes to another place. But we watched a believer's meeting in which I saw some of the strangest things that I had ever seen in my life. And in fact, we drove home from Broken Arrow to Silver City, which was where I was, in total silence. <laughs> That's how weird it was. Amen. That's how strange it was. Amen. Brother Hagin was prophesying, and I had never seen anything like that before at all. I hadn't seen anything like that. I was, the, I was in the Baptist church at the time. I had never seen that. We were so flabbergasted and shell-shocked and discombobulated by what was going on that we just were silent. I mean, it was silence, silence. We didn't, we, we, uh, we thought we saw, you know, you would have thought we saw a murder. Hello. And I'm sitting there trying to think about what, what, what to say and to try to be consoling to these guys. And maybe it was an off night. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this isn't real. Come on now. Because I didn't know the Bible. I love the Bible. I just didn't know it. There's a lot of people who love the Bible. They just don't know what it says. I've had people say, well, I don't believe in that tongues. And then you open the Bible and say, that's in there? <laughs> Read it. Yeah. Right. Hello. And I mean, I was just, but the next day I couldn't shake it. I could not shake what was going on. I knew even though my head and my flesh was resistant, repelled even by it because we operated a certain level of dignity in our church and there was aspects of that that was undignified, okay? And I had never seen that. I'd never experienced it. And then the next day, it grew on me more. And then the next day, it grew on me more. And I even talked to the two individuals, and I said, you know, some, something's about that, mess, that service, you know. And they said the same thing. They said, man, I was real confused when I left, but I really think that's real. Why? Because they went home, 
And they didn't just do like most people do after they get home from church, forget everything that went on. The move of the Spirit compelled them to ponder, meditate, and think on, and to even investigate. And I'm here to tell you that's what's missing in the church today. And we're going to bring it back. Amen. Amen. I want you walking out with more questions and answers. Because you know what? The number one place to seek the Lord is outside of here than in here. That's where it needs to happen, in your house. In your businesses, in your drive, in your commute. Seeking the face of God. I didn't understand what pastor was saying Sunday, but I want to pursue you. I want to find out what God says about this. That's what we want. And it develops a hunger. A a holy hunger to know God. Amen? But you're going to have to get into the Lordship Hello. If God's moving on you to speak to somebody and to share a word with somebody, you've got to understand it's the Lordship of Christ that's in question here. Am I going to obey God or am I not? If he tells you to do something specific and you know that you can't shake it, then you've got to be obedient to it. What's that a question of, Lordship? Who's Lord? Is the person you're trying to minister to, Lord, you're more intimidated by them than you are by the God of that created the heavens and the earth? You're more intimidated by what you'll look like to others than stand before the one who gave his life for you and give an account for your life? I mean, this is important stuff. People's lives are depending on upon our obedience, and our obedience is tied to what we think about lordship. Hello, and when it, when it comes to the realm of healing, it's all about lordship. It's all about lordship. I mean, people want the gifts. They want God's hand. They just don't want his heart. Now, I want to get something from God without going through the process of transformation. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Anytime I choose to believe God and declare something that God says and embrace it and receive it to myself, it changes me. It changes me. It's not just something that I receive like a sucker or a bottle of water. It actually becomes a part of my life, and I'm transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what faith does. Faith transforms you. It takes you from one form to a different form. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand and just lift our hands unto the Lord. Amen. I know this is a strong word, but it's just the truth. Just the truth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We glorify you. We answer the call. We answer the call of lordship. We look to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we just declare that you're Lord. You're Lord. You're Master. 
your owner. We look to you, Father God. We look to you, Father God. We look to you, Father God. We look to you. You're our refuge. You're our fortress. You're our God. It's in you we trust. We know that you have our best interest. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we see, no matter what's going on in our lives, we know that you are at work both to do your will and good pleasure because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. We're grateful, Lord. Thankful, Lord. Thankful, Lord. Glory to God. We answer the call. We answer the call. We want to get in that sheep gate. We want to get in that sheep fold. We're there positionally. Let's get there experientially. Let's experience the goodness of the shepherd. Let's experience the care of the shepherd. Let's experience the secret place in all of its fullness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Experience your glory, your majesty, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're going to have uh, ministers that are going to come up here. And if you're here and you're wrestling with aspects of your will and his will, You're wrestling with lordship issues. Listen, we all wrestle with it. All of us do. Amen? Let's break that. Let's break that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just, you know, Johnny, I just sense so strongly right now in my spirit that this aspect is something that there's a struggle for all of us. And it causes 
there to be a lack of intimacy that you desire to be with the Lord and you desire to have in the Lord. But there just seems to be a roadblock. There just seems to be just a, something that you're hitting. And, and, there's, and, and even when you get past it, it's almost like it gets beaten back. And the Lord wants to tell you that you don't need to try to impress him. He's already impressed. In fact, he's so impressed that he gave a son for you. So what happens when we lack, when we, when we reach a barrier in our intimacy, what happens is, is we tend to look for other qualifiers and we'll compare ourselves and we'll compete. And the Lord wants you to retire from both of those. Hang up your jersey. It's over. Just rest. Rest in what he has told you. Rest in what you know to be true. And retire from looking at other things as signifiers of whether you're on the right track. He's got you where he wants you. Trust him. Trust him. People have failed you. They've lied to you and betrayed you. And many have turned their back on you in the past. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will not leave you an orphan. Just as much as you want to take care of your children, and the desire you had to take care of your son, magnify that a millionfold, and you have the heart of the Father towards you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have, you're, you're already there. Stop wrestling. Stop wrestling. Stop wrestling. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Someone has a tongue. Bring it forth real quickly. Hallelujah. If you have the interpretation, bring it forth in Jesus' name.
manifestation of me. I will begin to flow through your hands and flow through your mouth, and you will see supernatural signs that need to be manifest along your journey, says the Spirit of God. Don't get so busy thinking that you've got your house taken care of when it's about my house flowing in other people's houses, says the Spirit of God. For they were not created to go where they're destined to go right now, but they were created to come alongside with you even as I reached your home. It's time to allow me to use you to reach their home. So wake up, begin to come alive, begin to seek me and begin to desire me with deeper dimensions than you've ever cried out to be and watch me begin to perform things in your life that will make your journey such peaceful and such ease of walking in my presence, says the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Let's give him praise. Thank him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to have ministers that are going to be up here to pray with you, help you in your walk with the Lord. They'll be here and uh, ready to minister, ready to uh, um, help you in anything that you might need. And so I'm going to, uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. The Lord minister to you tonight. Amen? Anybody? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It'll put some meat on your bones. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Door, there's a realm of the spirit that you've been operating in that causes you to feel like the wealthiest person on planet Earth. Even in the meager circumstances that you're in at this time, there's something spiritual that is bringing forth something greater in, in quality and in quantity that he's beginning to enshroud you with to where when you are in your, your, your place uh, where you live, it just begins to uh, redecorate the environment to where you feel that you are in opulent wealth and grace. There's just a sense of just great, and that will manifest itself outwardly. What you're feeling in your spirit is God is going to bring forth, bring forth physically. You're feeling it now. You sense it now. You see it now when you're alone with the Lord and you're worshiping. You, you just, you feel rich. There's been many times that I've worshiped the Lord and I just, and, and I didn't have a dime in my bank account. And I just looked at Karen and I said, I feel like the wealthiest man on planet earth. Why? Because Jesus is our wealth. Yes. Amen. Yes. But that's going to translate to physical wealth. 
That's going to translate to different surroundings. That's going to translate to different amenities because that's God's desire. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, they're going to be up here to pray with you if you have need of prayer. I'm going to close this out. If you want to pray, if you want to seek the face of God, you, know, you go ahead and do it. Amen. I'm going to close it out right now. In Jesus' name.